You're listening to the Colts Blue Zone Podcast with Mike Chappell and Dave Griffiths. Inside and outside the Fox 59 CBS4 podcast studio, this is the Colts Blue Zone Podcast. I'm Dave Griffiths, joined as always by Mike Chappell and uh, Joe Hopkins as well. Big show on tap. We'll discuss the Colts' decision on Malik Hooker's fifth-year option, something we touched briefly on last week, but of course that came down on Monday. We will take a look at what the AFC South did in the NFL draft. Obviously, you saw quite a bit with the Colts that we've done uh, over the past few episodes. Uh, The NFL schedule is coming out tonight. We won't touch on that too much because, well, that's coming out tonight as we tape this podcast. And um, we'll finally uh, hear a little bit, break down a bit of what Darius Leonard Doyle had to say when they spoke with the media this week. But, uh, Mike, we're going to start with Malik Hooker and the Colts' decision to decline the young safety's fifth-year option. Uh, this is something I think we can we can really break down quite a bit. There's a lot of layers to this. But uh, what, what was your reaction when you first uh, found out that the Colts were deciding not to pick up that fifth year for Malik? Just just surprised, I guess. It's it, And again, this is just this is not my reaction is not going deep into the Colts thinking about is he's just turned 24. The fifth year option would have been point seven million, I believe it was, which by NFL standards. It's pretty reasonable for a starting safety. Uh, but I talked with someone, and this really came down to injury and trust. Can they trust that he's going to stay healthy? He's missed, what is it, 14 or 15 games in three years. That includes, I think it was seven as a rookie, eight or nine nine as a rookie, I think it was. In other games, he's, he's not been 100% because of injuries. So they just weren't willing to put a $6.7 million price that it would have been guaranteed only for injury. So if he goes out and has a career-ending injury next year, uh, they're on the hook for it. So I, I understand that, but same point, $6.7 million for starting safety is not that onerous in my mind. Now we, we did a Twitter poll. Joe put it out there, and uh, out of uh, more than 300 people voted on it, we appreciate you guys voting and following us on Twitter, at Colt Blue Zone, throughout the week. But uh, 57% of the responders uh, did not agree with the Colts' decision to, uh, to, um, to not pick up that fifth-year option. Of course, uh, I doubt Chris Ballard shedding a tear on that. If you start making decisions based on what the fans think, you'll end up sitting with them, I think is what, uh, what the, this common statement is. So... Um, I, I, I'll, I'll say that once again, like you, Mike, I, I was pretty surprised about the decision as well. Um, as a safety, that fifth year, uh, the salary is not significant when it comes to the entire uh, salary cap as well. Um, you mentioned his injuries. I'll, I'll say this about his injuries, though. His, his rookie year, he had that offseason hip surgery. And he was ready week one. Like, he came in and he played week one. So that's that's no small feat to be able to recover from that surgery in one offseason and be ready to go. ACL, same thing. You got you tore his ACL. He came back the next year and was ready to go week one. That, again, is no small feat to be able to recover in an offseason and be good. This past year, he had a torn meniscus. And at first, you heard the uh, the estimation was like four to six weeks. That's maybe a standard meniscus recovery. Malik missed three games with that meniscus, and he was back. So it, you can make the point that he is injury prone, and I think that that is something that at least he has to deal with. It, it is a moniker right now that is with him 
for that reason, because he's hit all these other things. But I don't, but I, I would not call him um, weak when it comes to injuries at all. Like he, he's, he's still a tough kid. He is fighting through them and he is getting back to the field uh, maybe sooner than some people would think after these injuries. So I just want to throw that out there. It's not like he's milking these injuries. I, I don't think anybody's accusing him of that. But like you said, Mike, the Colts just, uh, in, in order to maybe invest this one year uh, at this, this range, um, that they weren't quite willing to, to do that because of the just the number of times he's had to miss games, not necessarily the, um, the, his reaction, I guess, to those injuries or how long he's been forced to sit out because of them. Yeah, and one thing to note about the, the, the two main injuries, uh, the, the ACL against Jacksonville was just an injury. He's on the sideline making a tackle and, and gets whipped into. And the meniscus last year, if I'm not mistaken, it, it was the end of a play, and I think DeAndre Hopkins fell on the knee or whatever it was. It was sort of freakish, although, I mean, freakish things happen in the NFL. You know, it, it's not necessarily that this means he'll be one and done for the Colts, that, that after next year he's going to be a free agent. But the problem is, let's say he had a year – and and you've got an interest in resigning him. Well, all of a sudden now it's about ten million a year bringing him back at ten safety. And I went back and looked also, and this probably played a lot into the Colts' thinking, along with the injuries. But free agents next year in in 2021 include Rivers, Brissett, Hilton, Marlon Mack, Justin Houston, you know, Danico Autry. Ryan Kelly, uh, Sheldon Day, Anthony Walker. So they've got Zach Pascal. They've got a ton of work to do contract-wise, and maybe they didn't want to get tied up with But By doing this, you've created a hole that you've got to fill. Now, maybe the third-round draft pick uh, this past year is going to be that guy. Until then, again, they've created an, an issue going forward after this coming year yeah you you can't rely for sure that blackman's your guy joe you have something to say well i mean he's got a torn acl right now too the colts seem to have this type with these you know injury safeties um i just thought it was very interesting i mean if if you want to keep malik long term and the colts don't know if they do but if if you're still trying to figure that out you just kind of seem like the fifth year would be a good way to give yourself more time to make that decision so it kind of seems like this year coming up is a make-or-break year for Malik Hooker with the Colts. Either he stays healthy, has a terrific year, and maybe they re-sign him long-term or hit him with the franchise tag and pay almost twice as much as they could have in 2021. Or he gets hurt again, and you know he's average to above average, and this is his final year with the Colts. It'll be interesting to see, but by next year, you know the first two draft picks Chris Ballard made with the Colts could be off the roster. Well, I'll say this as well, Joe, that first year, that 2017 draft, now, now it's not look, quite looking so good. Like, you look back, obviously, to Darius Leonard, Quentin Nelson, everyone's like, oh, Chris Ballard's the best drafter ever. And I understand that. But that 2017 draft is now first round Malik Hooker, who you didn't pick up the fifth year option for. Second round, Quincy Wilson, who is off the team with the Jets. Third round, Terrell Basham, who is off the team playing with the Jets. Fourth round, Zach Banner, who was cut in the preseason and is now Steelers. So it's possible that after their rookie contracts, depending on what happens with Hooker this year, that all four guys, Ballard's first four draft picks with the Colts will all be gone. 
So let's not lose sight of that when we talk about Chris Ballard as a drafter. Is he good, I think? Yes. Is he perfect? I definitely know. No, he is not. And Anthony Walker might be the best player from that draft. I think he was I a think, fifth rounder, and he's in the final yep. year of his contract. So yep. it'll be interesting to see what happens going forward. That is accurate, indeed. I think Marlon Mack was in that draft class, too. I think and of you're course, right. His future with the Colts obviously very greatly depends on Jonathan Taylor and uh, what they uh, what kind of production he's able to to give this year. Um, so that, that, that that's another discussion for another time. We've touched on that already. We'll probably get into it quite a bit more later throughout this year. But um, like like we've talked about, very interesting with Malik Cooker. And, and I'll add this before we wrap up on Malik. Like, I think that this this decision by the Colts is nothing but good for Malik Hooker. Like, if you're him, I, I'm happy that they don't pick up my fifth-year option because you're betting on yourself. And instead of saying, hey, I'm locked in for one future year at this $6.7 million, if I go out and I'm 24 years old, I'm reaching into my prime right now, I have learned of this year, that year, through the next year, I should be, this year should be technically my best year, you know, because I have one more year in the system. And I'm one year older. I'm one year wiser. I'm still young at 24. I'm still like one of the most athletic safeties in the league. Chris Ballard called him the most athletic player in that 2017 draft. If you come out and do what you're supposed to do and you stay healthy, there's no reason you shouldn't either sign a long-term deal after this year or get franchise tagged for way more than that $6.7 million. So, Mike, if I'm Malik, I'm like, hey, that's fine. You don't have to pick up this fifth year. This is a questionable decision for the Colts that will come back on them if it comes back to uh, to bite them in some sense. Yeah, he has to get over the initial slap of not being having the fifth round or the right. fifth year, and that'll go away again when, when if things play out the way you talked about. So what he's doing, he's, he's hitting free agency a year early, which which is really what every player would hope to do, although it's funny. I saw with the way the new CBA, that when it comes time to uh, pick up, Quentin Nelson's fifth-year option right now. I think he's making is it set him seven million dollars, and his fourth year will be in 2021, and his fifth year in 2022 will be like 14.7 million because it's going to be a franchise tag number. So the the new CAB helps these guys, but again, that's what we're saying. If if you do things successfully, I guess knowing you're going to miss some, but if you handle your draft right, you're, you're going to have these issues. You're just going to have tough issues moving forward. Do I fifth year this guy? Do I re-sign Anthony Walker, Marlon Mack? Those should, you want those to be tough decisions. That means you've, you've got somebody pushing Marlon Mack. You've got somebody, not know, say pushing Anthony Walker. He may be a guy you can afford because middle linebackers aren't quite the value defensive position nowadays, but it's it's better to have tough decisions than signing guys simply because you've got nobody else. No tough decision when it comes to Darius Leonard. He's entering year three of his four-year rookie deal, and I'd imagine if things keep going as as is, that he will receive a nice, healthy, long-term deal uh, sometime after uh, after this season. And guys, I think the rule is you're not allowed to renegotiate rookie contracts until after the third year of them. So you can't even do anything with him right now. But anyway, uh, I say that to transition to the fact that we spoke with Darius Leonard this week. And uh, Mike, we, we, we talked to him from South Carolina. He's out there on the farm. 
thank God he has some kind of an internet connection out there. But uh, saying that he, he's like one, one thing that I found very interesting about him is that staying in the country, like you don't have all the same amenities that a guy staying in, in the city would have. So he has to be very careful while he's working out is something that he mentioned. Like he can't go all out and then tweak something because he can't just go down the street and go to a chiropractor. He doesn't have that kind of, um, that is what he said. He doesn't have all those, all those choices where he is. So his workouts are maybe not the exact same as they could be as a, as some other players right now. Yeah. And that'll end sometime next right. month, I, I would hope. But yeah. He, we are, we are optimistic is, for that. Yeah. He, he does something hamstring wise or whatever. How hard is it, is it going to be to get some rehab people to help him? Now, if he's, if he's in Indy right now, he's in the same boat because they don't have the access to the Colts complex. But, but yeah, he, he, it was really funny to listen to him, how he's just doing the, the country stuff as far as working out where he said running in the yard and, and pushing, pushing the lawnmower. Lawn yeah. So, uh, but what I came away talking to him when we had him uh, the other day was this is the same self-motivated chip on my shoulder guy who, who he still sees himself as somewhat over, although that's going to be a tough, you know, topic to, to, to maintain. But he's, he still has these lofty goals, you know, Super Bowl MVP, league, MV, league MVP, defensive player of the year. But, you know, he's starting to check off both those boxes. He's twice all-pro, all finally made the Pro Bowl last year, defensive rookie of the year. So as long as he's a guy that can be self-motivated and, and continue to get better on what's already a great two first years, the Colts have got somebody they can really build around. It's impressive to me, Mike, that uh, that you can still have that chip on your shoulder if you're Darius Leonard. You know, after you're all pro your first year, you're pro bowl your second year. Like, there's still he he still is carrying it. You're right. He still has that attitude that the world doesn't believe in me. And let me just say, I don't think there's a single Colts fan that doesn't believe in Darius Leonard right now. But but he he is able to carry that with him. And it reminds me of, in a sense, it reminds me of the attitude like Robert Mathis would have as a former fifth round pick, a guy that was able to carry that chip on his shoulder, live with it and thrive because of it. I mean, that can really be a strong driving force in a guy's career. And with a guy with the talent of Darius Leonard, hey, as long as he can hold on to that, the better, right? Robert Mathis carried that to the end of his career. I mean, when he's, but you know, the 19 and a half sacks and the career sack leader, he, he still thought he was underappreciated. So hey, if it works for you, maximize it. A couple other things that he mentioned, talking about uh, still being in competition with uh, Anthony Walker, his fellow linebacker mate. And if you've ever spent time in the Colts locker room uh, with, uh, with the media, you know that the, uh, the linebacker group is one of the most fun groups to be around because they're always jawing at each other and they're always either sneaking into the back of other people's interviews or asking people questions in interviews. So I really enjoy spending time over with those guys. They are genuinely friends and they are genuinely uh, good, good people with the media and all that. So that's nice. But uh, you have to have a little bit of competition during this time, even if you're uh, um, in some kind of self-isolation, because I mean, some some kind of competitive streak runs in these guys' veins, and uh, Darius and uh, and Walker are kind of uh, are feeding off each other here to to try to stay active. Yeah, talking about uh, what he was talking about the, you know, who who ran the best two minute three minute run with the heart rate 
And then, you know, who gets out of bed earliest? So it, it was funny that Leonard admitted that uh, Walker probably beat him in the in the heart rate in, in, in their short runs. But he said, no, no, you know, sort of nobody gets out of bed earlier than he does, and Leonard does to get his workout in. So, again, whatever works during this time, because as much as the team tries to structure their hours a day, four days a week to get the players, so much of now, even more so, is do it, you have to be self-motivated. You've got to really find ways to push yourself. And if this works for these guys, and they're not the only ones. If this works for you, you know, more power to you. Does Darius have to be more of a, uh, like a locker room leader guy this year? That's something that Chris Ballard said after last season. I know we've touched on it before on this, uh, on this podcast is that, um, there, there wasn't that guy in the locker room that could, um, on the defensive side specifically, that could stand up and kind of rally the troops if things were going bad and just kind of nip something in the bud at, at halftime or something like that. They didn't have that leadership um, guy that they had had in, in years past from from various different uh, different players. But, I mean, Darius, he's only in his third year, but at the same time, if you're looking around the defense, who else could, could possibly be that type of vocal locker room leader uh, ty- type of guy? I always thought Justin Houston could have been. Now, maybe it's tough when you're sort of still the new kid on the block, but he's not. He's been around, a co- uh, you know, he's been around. So, but yeah, he, he, uh, Darius Leonard mentioned how the Colts had Ray Allen talk to the team last last week, and and he sort of imparted on them how how you be a leader, be yourself, don't be fake, but but show people how to do it and then do it. So it's obvious that Leonard wants to be and needs to be more of that leader type, and that's what you want your best player. Sometimes your best players are quiet leaders. They just said, you know, follow me, but they need somebody to sort of take them by the shoulders and say, no, this is how we do it. Maybe they were missing that last year, but again, I thought they had Justin Houston, they had Clayton Gathers, who may be more quiet guys. I don't know. We we see Justin Houston prior to game breaking the team down, and he he's pretty rowdy. But they thought they were missing that, uh, you know, from from Monday to Saturday, sort of giving that guidance. And I think Leonard wants to be that guy this year. Maybe he and Anthony Walker. And Darius also touched on one thing we'll, we'll hit before we move on to, uh, to Jack Doyle, who also spoke this week with the media. But um, I, I think probably the most significant thing for Darius this offseason, even more so than just, you know, self-improvement from year two to year three uh, in, in your NFL career, is, is getting a three technique like a DeForest Buckner to play in front of you. That, that alone should raise the level of play from Darius Leonard and the rest of the defense as well. And, Mike, I know Darius is certainly looking forward to playing behind one of the best three techniques in the NFL. You know, and that's what makes great players great players. They, they, they lift the level of play of people around them. And that's what Buckner's going to do. He's going he's gonna to help Justin Houston, Kimoko Ture, you know, Danico Autry, and the linebackers. You know, we've seen what Leonard's done not without having that elite three technique guy. So you, you just have to believe that it's just going to enhance everything they, they do. It's going to help the corners. So we, everybody's hoping uh, with, within the team that, that Buckner is what they've seen for four years. Actually, I say we talked about giving him a, thir- a 13th overall pick for him, but you're getting a guy who has done it at a high level. You know what you're getting. And I think these players around him, including the linebackers, are going to be in love with what Buckner can do for everybody's play. 
On the other side of the ball, we know what Jack Doyle can do. I, I think, what is it, 9.2 yards per catch, Jack Doyle, Mike? Is that it? Something around there? I thought seven. I'll give you 9.2. Okay. Well, it was some, somewhere in that range is what we get for Jack Doyle. I had coming off a, a Pro Bowl season, Jack Doyle last year. Wasn't exactly eye popping stats wise, but still made his way to, uh, to the Pro Bowl to play with the best in the AFC. His second Pro Bowl nod in three years. And uh, he does so. He's made the Pro Bowl each of the two years he played uh, with uh, Jacoby Brissett as his primary quarterback. Uh, so that's just something that's uh, that stuck out to me. But he will be playing with Philip Rivers this year, who has had a really good career thrown to tight ends, Mike. But at the same time, he's also had a really good career thrown to this Antonio Gates guy, who's probably one of the best tight ends in history. Nevertheless, you still expect uh, Philip Rivers to find him some tight ends when he does suit up and is able to connect with Jack Doyle. Yeah, I want to see how, how it's going to work with Doyle and, and Trey Burton when, when Burton can get back from, I don't know where he is exactly with it, with his hip injury, but they, they want Burton to be, be the Eric Ebron type tight end more the receiving tight end. And, and Jack knows he's going to still be the blocker. And he's one of the better all around tight ends in the league. I just looked Jack 9.0 career reception. So I, I apologize for, for short selling him, but, uh, any, any quarterback like Rivers who loves tight ends is going to love Jack Doyle. He's going to be exactly where he's supposed to be. He'll be sort of that security blanket. But uh, again, this is we're all expecting Rivers to be the the gunslinger and really throw the ball over the place. And we may see a different Rivers in part because of, in part because of the tight ends they've got here, but in part because of the running game, which Jack Doyle will play a big role in as far as blocking. And that was my question to Jack when when we were on the Zoom call with him. It was, hey, you know what? Everybody here expects after drafting Jonathan Taylor, you pair him with a thousand yard rusher and Marlon Mack, that that you guys are going to run the ball more often than the average NFL team. And, and heck, they did it last year. They were seventh in the league in rushing last year. And you had a guy like Jonathan Taylor. The the expectation's got to be only to to see that number of rushes go up. So. I was like, hey, you ready to block? He said, darn right I am. I, I love blocking and gave a shout out to one of his old like offensive line coaches when he played right guard back when he was uh, a young kid learning the game. Um, but uh, and then he 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 spoke about watching blocking film like Joe speaks about the NFL draft, like Joe, like Joe speaks about researching a kid from Mount Union College. A, uh, a right guard from Mount Union that might have might be able to make it in the sixth or seventh round of the draft. Joe, uh, he he loves him some uh, some run blocking and some tape of that. And it shows up. I mean, he's one of the best run blocking tight ends in the NFL year after year. He's one of the best rated on Pro Football Focus. So, um, you know, we're kind of talking about Darius Leonard feeling like he's underappreciated. I think if anyone on the team has that stake to be able to say that, it'd be Jack Doyle. That's interesting. Yeah, but the personality, but the personalities are totally different. Oh, Darius yeah. Leonard tells you underappreciated, and Jack Doyle just kind of keeps it to himself. He, <laughs> I think he's one of the better stories to come through here in the last twenty years. Again, the undraft, he's, he's cut by Tennessee, picked up on waivers, and he's signed two pretty good contracts uh, after proving himself. So I, I think it's it's a great story, and it just shows you, you know, we've, we've talked every needs a Jack Doyle or two on his roster. Now you can have, you can have too many of those type of players, but you need those guys who just do the, 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 the dirty work 
the underappreciated things and who moves the chains. And w- when they lost Jack to that, was it the, the hip and the kid? You just saw you just saw they they had trouble replacing him. So what he does sometimes goes underappreciated, but trust me, the coaches and the quarterbacks understand the value of a Jack Doyle. Yeah, real Jack, real yeah, quick, it was pretty funny. Jack Doyle is my dad's favorite player on the Colts, and I got him like a Jack Doyle football for Christmas, and he puts it up on his mantle on the mantle next to um, a picture of Jesus. And I say, is that is that a little sacrilegious putting Jack Doyle next to Jesus? And he goes, no, Jesus loves Jack Doyle too. <laughs> That's right. Hey, Jack Jack Doyle went to Cathedral High School. Jack Doyle could love himself some Jesus. That's cool. I, I don't want to speak for him, but nevertheless, and that's there. He went there to Cathedral High School, also the same uh, same high school as Kendall Coleman out of Syracuse, who now joins the uh, the, the roster as well. So two Cathedral I guys. Get that in there. Of course, I did. Snuck it in. <laughs> I, I appreciate that you pointed out, but um, we got him. Like that's something else that Jack Doyle said. Like he said that. Uh, well, he was asked about Kendall Coleman, and he said he doesn't know him specifically, but. Hey, if you're working with Robert Mathis, uh, he knows that Rob's the man and that uh, he's looking forward to seeing what Kendall can do. And also Sheldon Day, another indie guy. So the Colts are stocking up on the uh, the central Indiana talent there uh, as well. So looking forward to see what Jack Doyle can do this year with Philip Rivers. Uh, as much as they can get together and be in person and catching balls would be better, obviously. That's something that that Jack and all all the uh, pass catchers are going to have to to get past, Mike, is the fact that you don't have quite as much time with your new quarterback. And as much as Jack says, hey, I love hearing Rivers talk during the meetings, and I think we're on the same page, you never really know until you're out there on the field. So hopefully for for the Colts' condition and for every team that has a a new quarterback, they want to get out there as soon as possible just to actually get some physical reps in together. I remember going into the 2018 training camp at Westfield. We talked, this is when Luck's coming back again from the shoulder. He hasn't thrown... He, he did very little. I think he did virtually nothing in off-season workouts. And we asked T.Y. Hilton, how much time do you guys need? He said, you know, he laughed. He said, none. He said, it's like brush, getting out of the bed in the morning. You brush your teeth, you're ready to go. Well, that, that's great when, when they've been together since 2012. But the, the, you know, R- Rivers hasn't thrown to these guys. The only one he's thrown to, you could say, is Malik Cooker with the, uh-huh. with the, with the interception. But, but you, you, they – Talk to any quarterback, and Peyton Manning, what was important? Practice reps. Practice reps with Mark and Reggie. He says, you threw, you, who you threw to in the game, you threw two guys who got open in practice. So the, the, the less time these guys have on the field, the more it's going to hurt, not only the Colts, but, you know, Tampa with, with Brady. He's a great quarterback, but he's not thrown to these guys. He's got great receivers, but it does matter to have trust that a guy is going to be where he's going to be. So they're going to need all the work they can with Rivers and T.Y. and Pascal and, and Burton and, and Campbell, all these guys. So it, it's going to be huge. And But, but again, when you have a, a guy like Jack Doyle, that, that once you get that trust, you know he's going to be there. Now with a rookie, a young guy, maybe it's going to take longer, but it's going to really help that, that Rivers is going to have, you know, he and he and Hilton will get hooked up pretty quickly because I think Hilton's that quality of a player, and so and so is uh, Jack Toll. But let's not kid ourselves: a shortened pre or off season and training camp or no training camp is not going to be beneficial to teams with new quarterbacks. 
So that's who we heard from this week, a little bit from Jack Doyle, a little bit from Darius Leonard from the Colts, and also Frank Reich earlier in the week as well. And we'll uh, hear from Frank, I believe, next week with a couple new players. So glad that the Colts are uh, making some of their players available via Zoom for, for your listening and our writing and broadcasting uh, amusement and content. Thank you very much. Uh, we shift now to uh, around the AFC South. We have dealt quite a bit with the Colts' uh, recent 2020 NFL draft, broke it down for you in recent Colts Blue Zone podcasts. But, of course, there have been some other additions around the division as well. And we'll start our breakdown with the uh, Houston Texans' 2020 draft class, the reigning AFC South champions. Where else would you start? So just like if you want to count the Colts' trade of their first-round pick for uh, DeForest Buckner as part of their draft— you have to include the Houston Dexans dealing their first-round pick as well as part of their draft class. So they had uh, they had quite the trade. They dra- they dealt their number one pick, I believe, a fourth-round pick, and then a player to the, the Miami Dolphins for Laramie Tunsil, offensive lineman, Kenny Stills, wide receiver, and I believe another pick in return. It, it was it was quite it was quite the deal. But the the big part was getting Tunsil back and uh, getting Stills as well as a wide receiver. Stills maybe hasn't really um, taken off quite as much as people expected, but uh, Tunsil appears to be at least a, uh, a franchise building around uh, a tackle. At least that's what they paid him like this last offseason. So um, if you want to start, Mike, with an analysis of the Texans draft class, getting a, a franchise left tackle uh, with uh, as part of your first-round pick, that's, that's not too shabby. Yeah, Joe can go into more depth or he knows all these guys, and all I see are names. The only surprise I, I saw, I guess, is in the fourth round, they took what an offensive tackle, Charlie Heck. And this is when this is a team that you you just gave Howard uh, or Tunzel three years, sixty-six million dollar extension, and you used a 2019 pick on on uh, Titus Howard. So unless they just want depth at the position, I thought maybe they could have gone. Another position receiver, maybe I don't know, because I think there's still need. Although, although I realize they traded for uh, Brandon Cooks, but I never really know what to Bill O'Brien with his draft because he doesn't have many draft picks to go with. Uh-huh. What do you think, Joe? Yeah, I mean, he kind of just. It seems like he wants to change his team philosophy a little bit and get back to running the football more and playing better defense. Um, kind of like back with the um, Arian Foster days. Um, he goes. D-line with his first two picks, Ross Blacklock, a talented defensive uh, tackle out of TCU, a guy who has a lot of quickness, who can penetrate, um, a guy who, if the Colts hadn't acquired Buckner, they probably would have thought about it, you know, in the second round at 34. And then in the third round, they get um, Jonathan Greenard out of Florida, an edge rusher. Um, you know, that's kind of a wash. They need edge rushing help because – Clowney's gone, and then a lot of their pass rushers, frankly, are getting old with J.J. Watt and uh, Whitney Merciless. So it looks like the Texans are trying to load back up on defense a little bit, um, getting some offensive line depth with Charlie Heck. And uh, honestly, this is just a so-so draft, but we'll, we'll have to see what happens. They didn't have a ton of draft capital to work with. Yeah, after you deal away that first-round pick, um, nothing nothing jumps out as immediately franchise-changing, you know, game one or uh, must-start uh, game one. I, I'd imagine Blacklock will, will see plenty of time uh, out there as well, but uh, don't know about Greenard. And then once you get to the fourth round on, it's like, oh, boy, I doubt, I doubt that these guys are going to have a, a 
significant, significant impact on the team this year. So um, when, when you look at uh, the Texans and this draft class, obviously, like I said, I mean, the first round pick that you trade for uh, Tunsil and Stills is, is, is the big mover and shaker of these guys. But um, any discussion, uh, Mike, of this offseason for the Houston Texans, the draft is probably uh, secondary at best when it comes to uh, trading away uh, DeAndre Hopkins uh, for, for David Johnson. That, that is going to be the move that uh, defines, uh, I would imagine, the uh, Houston Texans 2020 season and beyond, much more so than anything that was done the other week uh, over, uh, over the Internet via this virtual draft. I don't disagree with Joe that maybe they're going to try to shift focus to be more of the, I don't say ground and pound. It's a bad description. But when you've got Deshaun Watson, the idea of taking that explosive part out of your offense just doesn't make much sense. It seems like you take your, whatever your quarterback is and tailor your roster around him. So I, I just, I, I, everything tells me that this is going to blow up on him, but. Maybe he's a mad genius that we just don't respect yet. Well, I, we definitely don't respect him yet, if that's the case. Hang on. I, I want to bring up uh, Will Fuller's stats just for a second. Hang on. Because, uh, I mean, I know he's he's been in Houston now for four years. But, um, if, if I mean, we're talking about injury-prone guys with Malik Hooker <laughs> earlier, if you want to say that. There, there's no one, I don't think, in the NFL who's more, quote-unquote, injury-prone than, than Will Fuller. But when he's on the field, he can be absolutely electric. So if, if, if he's there, the Titans certainly still have that deep threat type of guy, even without a DeAndre Hopkins there. But uh, last year, he played in 11 games. So he missed, he missed five games last year. He only played in seven games in 2018, only played in 10 games in 2017. I mean, that's, that's five or more games that he's missed three years in a row. And his rookie year wasn't, wasn't perfect either. So... If you just say, oh, you know, we got Will Fuller. Oh, hey, we brought in Kenny Stills. Hey, we signed a Randall Cobb or uh, Brandon Cooks. Uh, oh, okay, but but none of them none of them is as one of your favorite wide receivers in the NFL, Mike, is a, is a DeAndre Hopkins type of level that uh, you can certainly rely on to do what he was able to do throughout his time with the Texans. So yeah, and it's just interesting because it seems like I mean I'll, I'll leave Randall Cobb out of this. Um, or the you know ghost of Randall Cobb, but Fuller, Brandon Cooks, and Kenny Stills are all the same type of wide receiver. They're the speed receiver, the guy you're going to go deep. I don't know who the possession receiver is going to be on this team. So it, it seems like the Texans are just going to say, all right, we, we want to run the heck out of the football and then just send our receivers deep and let Deshaun Watson chuck it. Um, to keep Unless Deshaun Watson run around by time and then chuck it, you know? Yeah. Exactly. So um, we'll, we'll see how it works out for him. But as as someone who roots for the Colts, I am uh, pretty w- happy with how the you know AFC champion Texans offseason went. I, I, I understand that. I understand that. Um, also, playoff team from the AFC South in 2019 was the Tennessee Titans. And uh, the Titans' 2020 draft class looked... Uh, Another uh, at the top, a, uh, their first round pick was actually used on an offensive tackle, um, similar to the Texans, even though they dealt away for Tunsil. So you, you get you, you take turn your first round pick into a tackle, a guy in Isaiah Wilson that you uh, you kind of fill a need that you had with uh, Jack Conklin leaving the team in the offseason. But um, the all the attention was on uh, George's other offensive lineman, Mackay Beckett. Well, wait a second. He was he was with Louisville. 
Um, who is, yeah, who the, is just Andrew other, Thomas? That's right. Four overall. That's right. Andrew Thomas. And uh, Thomas was the left of uh, the right tackle, if I'm not mistaken, Joe. And Isaiah Wilson was the left tackle, I think, in, in Georgia. Now you um, got that flipped. Are you sure? Um, see, see now, now I don't know what I'm talking about. Um, <laughs> but anyway, we'll, we'll, we'll stick to what I do know. And that is that the Titans replaced a need that they certainly had with Jack Conklin leaving. Uh, bringing in Isaiah Wilson with, with that first round pick, Joe. And when you're at 29, um, if you can get a guy that you that you plan to plug and play maybe from day one uh, on your offensive line, that that's not too shabby. No, it's not. And he's you know, he's a huge hulking offensive tackle. He's a guy who can just bulldoze people, which is exactly what the Titans want to do on offense. Um, looking at the draft here, it kind of looks like they're just. Uh, treading water and replacing needs. I mean, second round, they get Christian Fulton to replace Logan Ryan, who they lost in free agency. He's still unsigned, um, last I checked. And then round three, Darrington Evans is an exciting running back, um, very similar to the running back who just left in free agency for the Titans, Deion Lewis. Smaller guy, pass catcher, shifty type of runner. Um, he, they're going to hope he's the lightning to Derrick Hendry's thunder. Um, but, it, it, you know, they brought in some younger guys that they won't have to pay as much. They had to let some veterans go, but it kind of looks like this draft was just about replacing the players that left via free agency. That's what I mean. A lot of go ahead. Well, yeah, in defensive defensive tackle, the defensive line they they lose was it uh, Terrell Casey. Mm-hmm. So this was a case that they're sort of again they chose not to resign. Conklin, which is always strange to me when you when you've got a proven player, a proven tackle, Pro Bowl player, how you let a tackle go, they must must have been just not willing to pay what it was going to cost. But well, and they declined his right, fifth year option. Correct, that's what I mean. So they made a decision early. Yeah, he's a good player, but not a great, not a cornerstone player. So I, I guess I would wonder about taking a running back in the third round says a guy who covers a team that took a running back in the second round when you've got Marlon Mack on hand. So, uh, but, but this is in going, staying with Mike Vrabel. He he is a, he's a between the tackle guys. He's a trenches guy. So this doesn't surprise me at all that this is going to be a run dominated team, even with Ryan Tannehill coming back. Yeah. Run dominant and stop you on defense. That seems to be uh, Mike Vrabel's approach. If you look at, if you look at their um, look at their draft. Now, I found one thing actually that was really interesting with that uh, that pick. Where where was it? Dadgummit. Yeah, the Christian Fulton pick. I think in the second round. Yeah, uh, cornerback for LSU. And certainly, I, I I think they needed help at cornerback, and they got it there. Um, but uh, right after that, the very next pick at 62 was uh, running back, the running back out of Boston College, A.J. Dillon, who's like a huge dude. And you heard of like thunder and lightning attacks throughout NFL history. It would have been amazing if the Titans had drafted A.J. Dillon right there and they just had thunder and thunder with a huge (laughs) A.J. Dillon and huge Derrick Henry. Oh, you think you're getting a break from the big guy? Just kidding. It's A.J. Dillon coming in next. That would have have been really cool to me, but uh, obviously different plans in hand, different needs to fill. Um, I, I, I just personally found that interesting, but, um, yeah, you know. he actually went to the Packers who coach Matt LaFleur used to be at Tennessee. He had to get his own version of Derrick Henry's. So. That's right. For real. And by the way, I don't think anybody was more upset with this draft than Packer fans. 
um, while, while we're on it. They, they were they were less than pleased, Joe. Ted Rogers, probably. Yeah, him most of all. Yeah, my, my neighbor's a diehard Packers fan, and um, he said uh, <laughs> he said the only way he can talk draft with me is oh, after a few beers it was that bad. So, <laughs> yeah, we'll just leave it at that. Right, right. Uh, no need to go too in-depth on, on the Packers draft. Uh, who knows? You look back in five years, it might be the best one out of all of them. But that, that's the cool thing about the draft is, 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 is as much as we get into it now, uh, who knows? Somebody else might get the last laugh in five years and surprise you, depending on fit, depending on need, depending on what the assistant coach is able to teach these guys as well. So that, that's, that's something that's, um, that's always interesting to me. But anyway, the Titans go defense heavy. Uh, for the most part in their draft, besides drafting offensive tackle in first round and running back in the third, there are one, two, three, four other defensive picks. Um, so that's the Titans draft. We go on to the Jacksonville Jaguars 2020 draft class. The only team in the AFC South that had a pair of first round picks, and they used them both on the defensive side of the ball and both from the SEC, drafting cornerback C.J. Henderson out of Florida. And uh, they drafted uh, Caleb. Oh, hang on. Um, this is one of the players that uh, that Roger Goodell absolutely butchered his name on draft night. There were there were a couple of them, um, and, and I don't want to say it because now it's been it's been too long since the draft. It's been like two weeks, so it's already kind of out of my mind. But Joe, I know you'll know uh, his name perfectly off off the top of your head. Yes, LSU's Clavon Chason. Okay, okay, there we go, Clavon Chason. So and, and and edge rusher out of LSU uh, in the first round. So so they they shore up on defense in their first round picks. Well, and, yeah. and after they have to because they created holes there. They, they needed a corner after getting parting ways with uh, Ramsey and uh, Boye, and then they've got to find an edge pass rusher because uh, Nagakwe is still on the roster, but there's a better chance of Joe playing. <laughs> Whereas this year than him. That'd be nice. Plus they got rid of a uh, Clayus Campbell. They shipped him off to Baltimore. Right. So it's another need on the defensive line. And I will say between chase on and, um, um, Oh, I'm blanking on his name. The first round pick from last year. He has the oh. same name as the bills quarterback. Uh, Josh Allen. Josh Allen. Yes. Between Josh Allen and Clavon chase on, those are two of the more athletic right. pass rush duo you're going to find in the NFL. So if both guys, I mean, Allen had a good rookie year. If Chase on can, you know, put it together as well, it's going to be hard to block those two athletic guys on the edge there. Um, and then it, it kind of looked like their whole draft, if I can get into it a little more, was really boomer bust. Second round, um, LaVisca Chenault, another interesting name there, out of Colorado. He's a wide receiver, but really um, he compares to like a Cordero Patterson. He'll go in the backfield and take snaps at running back. He blew the wildcat. He's a guy where you just get the ball in his hands and let him go, but he had injury concerns. You know, he, he got a lot of work to do as a route runner, so that's one of those guys who you could see being a flop if you can't put it together. They go back to defensive line in the third round. Devon Hamilton, a big, powerful type of defensive tackle. Um, and then Ben Barch in the fourth round. He was a guy who went viral a little bit for his um, interesting milkshakes with uh, the Gatorade and everything else in him at the Combine. Um, but he's another guy who converted to tackle. Um, he drank all the milkshakes to put on weight so he could play offensive line. Um, so that's another guy who's still learning the position. He, he could be boomer bust as well. 
I did like the – they actually had, what was that, one, two, three fourth-round picks. Josiah Scott out of Michigan State, he's a good slot cornerback that they need help there. And then linebacker Shaquille Quarterman uh, in the fourth round is another guy who should help their linebacker depth. I won't get too far deeper than that. They had a lot of picks in this draft. But um, this could be a draft where it could completely flop or we could go, wow, they got four or five stars out of it, depending on how the players develop. Yeah, 12 total players uh, in this Jacksonville Jaguars draft class. So w- when you go boom or bust, uh, there, there's a potential for, for, some, for a lot of fun on your roster. And I, I, I do want to point out the, uh, the LaVisca Chenault pick at 42, that the Jaguars made that pick immediately after the Colts traded up to 41 to get Jonathan Taylor. And uh, there's at least some speculation, and understandably so, after uh, the Jaguars uh, decline the uh, fifth-year option for Leonard Fournette, that they had targeted Jonathan Taylor, that they were thinking about going out and getting him. But then the Colts traded up from their spot. Uh, uh, let's see, they jumped over the Bears and they jumped over the Jaguars there to, to get Taylor. So um, if, if you're the Colts and you thought, Mike, that, uh, that the Jaguars had Jonathan Taylor on, on their minds— and uh, you want to go up and get him yourself to prevent yourself from having to play him twice a year, and you only give up a fifth-round pick to do so, that you get again later with another deal, I, you, you can't, uh, I think that's a pretty good uh, savvy move from Chris Bauer to take away a potential game-breaking type player from, from the Jaguars there, if indeed they were interested in Taylor in the second round. Yeah, that's one thing I noticed is, is 12, 12 draft picks, not one running back. And with, with the Fournette situation, even if the Colts did steal Taylor from them, why not one somewhere else? I mean, did they just not was it or nobody uh, for, for when teams are always looking to sort of build for the future with, with an eye in the future? I looked at their depth chart at running back, and I'm sure Joe knows some of these guys. I haven't heard of any of these guys beyond Fournette. I mean, we've got. Uh, I'm not. I'm not going to try to. Ozigba, you know him, Joe? From I believe he went to Nebraska. Okay, see, Taven Fester, Nathan Cottrell, Michael Armstead, James Robinson. So, so I I found it strange that they don't have something in the pipeline with with their obviously the obvious decision to move on from Fournette after this year. So. Again, and as we know, their history, what they're doing down there, right? The people in Jacksonville know what they're doing, which, you know, at least one year over the last 12, they, they know what they're doing. But I, I found it strange that they didn't have something potential at running back. Yeah, and, uh, you know, I've heard the rumors and reports that they were trying to shop for net this past offseason. So that's a good point, Mike, that you brought up that, you know, it didn't have to be in the second round if they wanted Taylor and, you know, it wasn't there. But it was interesting they didn't take a single running back. They do have right. a few young guys. So maybe they just think they'll see what, you know, their young players can do if Fournette's not the answer for them. Yeah. I, I doubt Fournette is the answer. It, it seems like a very opposite. It's not the Malik Hooker situation with the Colts, with which we really broke down earlier, that we think that it's not entirely impossible that um, that Hooker does or doesn't. Uh, leave the Colts. It's still kind of 50-50, I think, after this season, even though the Colts did decline his option. With with Fournette, 
if he's posting uh, gifs of Will Smith looking around from the end of um, what's it called from the end of Fresh Prince of Bel Air, where the the room is completely empty after the Jaguars trade away or let another All Star or All Pro or Pro Bowl player on uh, the defensive line or the offense wherever it is go, uh, he he seems to have been fed up with the uh, the Jaguars front office at least. That that's what that's what his social media would would lend me to believe, Joe. I think. Yeah, absolutely. I think the Jaguars are fed up with him. I've heard, you know, all the reports about him being late to meetings and practices and things of that nature. So, um, and he certainly hasn't given them the production they hoped they were getting when they took him. I believe four overall in the draft. Um, just a few picks later, Christian McCaffrey went off the board. I bet they. Uh, Wish they would have flip-flopped that one there. But the 2021 running back class is going to be ridiculous, and I'm excited to see uh, where everybody lands in the future. Well, if we look at these three classes, from the Texans, the Titans, and the Jaguars, um, I'll pose the question, which team do you think had the best class in the AFC South? We'll leave the Colts out of this, because uh, just just for the sake um, sake of argument, we'll leave them out. Outside of the Colts, who had the best draft class here? Um... I'll say just I'll say probably the Titans, in my opinion, they they continued to strengthen something that is a strength, adding Isaiah Wilson uh, to the offensive line and um, and tried to shore up the defense and some needs with uh, with Christian Fulton and uh, Murchison on the uh, on the defensive line, Fulton in the secondary, Murchison on the defensive line as well. So um, I, I think out of even though the Jaguars have quite a large number of picks. I'm I'm confident I'm more confident that the Titans uh, picked more players who will have an impact uh, have have a positive excuse me impact on their team in the next three or four years. I, I agree. I, I don't know where Joe go, but I agree just because I trust what I, I trust what they're trying to do. I, I think they've got a blueprint and they're sticking with it. You know, filling of proven players, the players they weren't willing to really invest at their age. I don't trust Bill O'Brien and I don't trust the Jaguars. So almost by default, I'm going Tennessee. Yeah. I'm going to go with Jacksonville. Just looking at the, you know, not looking at the whole off season, but just looking at the draft. Uh, they had seven picks rounds one through four. And I, I think all seven guys could turn out being starters, if not stars, CJ Henderson at pick number nine, um, uh, he has everything it takes to be a, you know, one of the top five cornerbacks in the NFL, same with chase on. So if those guys both hit and they have, you know, top five, top 10 cornerback and edge rusher, I mean, th- that's a great draft right there. Not even counting the rest of their players. So if we did include the Colts, I think it would be real close between the Colts and the Jaguars for who had the best draft. But of course, only time will tell. Syracuse's own uh, Doug Marone leading the uh, Jacksonville Jaguars uh, as well. Got to throw that in there before. Got in twice. That's right. <laughs> we are everywhere, my boy. We are everywhere. All orange all the time. The NFL schedule will be released later tonight, so we won't spend too much time on it. We assume you'll be listening to this uh, Colts Blue Zone podcast over sometime over the coming week, uh, likely after the uh, release of the schedule. But uh, nevertheless, um, we... There have been multiple reports about uh, this game is this week and that game is that week. And 
you've said, oh, the um, I- I've seen reports that all non-conference games are going to be early so that if you lose any games, well, those are the ones that don't quite matter as much. I've seen other ones that have like the Bears and Packers or the Bears and Lions playing week one or week two. So that would completely throw um, the- that first idea out the window. But uh, nevertheless, we-, we know, Mike, who the Colts are playing. Uh, but at this time next week, we'll, we'll be able to get uh, down and dirty into a little bit of the details about when – uh, when all these games are going to take place specifically. The one thing that Colts fans and, and the owner will look for is how many primetime games? One, number one. And then number two is how many are at home. And they've got a bone to pick the Colts. Do I, I was looking, 11 of their last 13 primetime games have been on the road, including five straight Sunday night, five straight Monday night. So, uh, uh, I guess maybe the, the, the primetime cameras don't enjoy an indoor stadium or in downtown Indy. I don't know. But, uh, you know, just also you've got, what, uh, six, seven or seven games against with five playoff teams, I think is what it is. And, and I think six of them are at home. So it, it'll be – but, again, it's strength of schedule. They're right at 50-50, I think, on the wins and losses. And you don't know because teams you thought were going to be good are going to be trash. And there's always two or three teams that just jump up and fall back. So I do contend this is probably the most over date on the NFL calendar. Because like you said, you know who you're playing. You're just finally going to find out when. And there's like a three-hour TV show tonight to just talk about the schedule. Only the NFL can get viewership from that. <laughs> I do have a question. Are Thursday night games considered primetime games? Yes. Yes, they are. Okay. Gotcha. Yes. So, uh, so yeah, M- Mike's point about the, um, yeah, the home versus away games. They've had a couple of home Thursday night games, but uh, yeah, those those Sunday and Monday night games have been have been few and far between. And, and like you said, it could be the uh, the dome being part of it um, or the in- indoor stadium, but. Uh, nevertheless, Lucas Oil remains one of the one of the best venues in in the NFL. I'll I if I'm a Colts fan, I'd I'd put that up against pretty much anything else in the league and be really happy with how it how it matches up. Maybe uh, the one in in Dallas, Jerry World, is the one exception that is just leaps and bounds more um, more eye popping than than any other one out there. Um, that is that's currently I guess in um in uh, in action. Who knows what the, the Vegas one will look like uh, or the, the Los Angeles one when once they're finished. But uh, at this time, like you, you got to love Lucas Oil Stadium. If you're a Colts fan, you just wish that uh, the rest of the world could see it on on Monday or Sunday night, perhaps a little bit more. Maybe we'll, we will. Yeah, Let me try that again. Maybe we will see that sometime tonight over uh, and then break it down over the next week on the Colts Blue Zone podcast. We've been talking too long. My, my tongue is starting to get tied up, so we'll wrap things up here. We encourage you to follow us on Twitter throughout the week at Colts Blue Zone and submit some Colts or NFL-related questions to us that you would like the Blue Zone crew to answer uh, via Twitter. Just tag us at Colts Blue Zone, or you can tag Mike, myself, or Joe. I am at Dave G underscore sports. Mike is at mchapel51. Joe is at Roto Street Joe. So for me, uh, I, I'll likely see it unless I've muted you for being an idiot because um, <laughs> that, that's happened to some people. I, 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 I like the mute button 
the the block button doesn't come out all too often, but but the mute comes out just because I, I I can't stand people who are being dumb. It, it hurts me to see people who just don't know don't know football and and um, are so adamant that they do know football. It, it it it's painful to me. And I don't know. Maybe I need to work on my patience, but nevertheless, it it just hurts. So so I I liberally use the mute button. And it's not just when when one person comes out and says something. It's when when you say something, then then I say no, that's not how it works. And then you come back and you you really kind of dig yourself in as dig yourself a hole after after hearing the truth straight from my lips, my <laughs> uh, my superior knowledge lips. And, and and I say this very much tongue in cheek. I know that I'm my opinions are not perfect, and I don't know anything. But uh, I I do tend to get frustrated on Twitter, which I probably shouldn't um, with with people who don't know what they're talking about. Nevertheless. Um, we, we do want to hear from you. Don't don't take anything else. <laughs> like we, we want to hear something from you. Just I pray that you'd come with an open mind and not think that you uh, you know everything because uh, that that gets under my skin, I guess, Joe. Yeah, it, it's always someone with the um, without the picture. too. Exactly. It's the eggs, the Twitter eggs like <laughs> ah, stupid trolls that get to me. So anyway, or not, hit us up on Twitter and we'll try and answer your questions. Exactly. And I'll try to be, try to be as, as polite as possible. I, I'm sure I will be, especially after this rant right here that we're going on. So we thank you for downloading. Please subscribe to the Colts Blue Zone podcast. Get this delivered to your podcast listening device right when it drops. We will see you next week to talk some schedule on the Colts Blue Zone podcast.